0: The technical the the My neck freezing. give us the reason. Make this smoke look easy. easy. Couple of this with the stones is beat What's your issue? Woo. If you got a trigger, just squeeze bah. it. it. do outside the street. Ain't no treaty, nah. These stones around my jeans ain't <laughs>
1: all right we're back once again folks live from greenwood
0: bonjour shalom and what's up and welcome to episode 93 of how you living and this one is Livin'? like a week out from the last one what is this
1: what uh yeah miss? and and for the record it's episode 94 it's what do you know what, what? do you know Episode 94. It is 94. Uh,
0: I even wrote it down as 94. What the fuck, It Chaz? is our bit, though, that we
1: uh, ultimately always forget what episode we're on. So we're true. staying on script, guys. Uh, live once again in Greenwood, the, the the simple show here at the Just Paid Rent Studios under quarantine is me. And there is Chaz in the Million Dollar Studios atop the Chaz Tower. Now, uh, this show is pretty simple. We keep it, uh, you know, to politics and fun and whatever we can talk about. And today, I'm going to start the show the way I've started every other episode, which is to look to my friend Chaz and say, How you
0: living, Chaz? You know what? The world is fucked up. People are rioting. But me personally, I'm doing all right, all things considered, which is weird. But yeah, I Um... I feel you,
1: man it's it's almost a guilt feeling these days if if you don't have corona and your life is okay yeah um there's so many things going on in the world and obviously some of these things uh are not new as much as um they're in the current headlines these are you know old stories that we're going to be discussing today um that just seem to be rearing their heads in new ways uh but with that, we can enter into our first segment of the show, a show that's a look back at the other 93 episodes we've done prior in a segment we like to call callbacks. Cool callbacks
0: Yeah.
1: So uh, Chaz, obviously, as the world decides to melt down slowly and people are either sick or at home, what do you have to call back?
0: So for this callback, you know, right now I'm heartbroken, upset, and frustrated with America right now. So it must be a Sunday, but, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, and I do want to talk about um, the story that is going on in everyone's minds right now of George, um, and the, the what I want to look into is uh, the charges that Derek Chauvin got um for the the death of George Floyd and that was a third degree murder and second degree manslaughter um kind of like how we did before where i think back when uh the thing happened with uh, the officer also in Minnesota with Philando Castile um and he got acquitted one of the things that we did is we looked at um what the letter of the law actually says and right. And why, like, might that acquittal happen? So in this instance, there's two of them. And even though they're longer, i am only taken really, uh, I'm only going to take uh, Section A of Murder in the Third Degree and Section 1 of Manslaughter in the Second Degree. And I can give you a Cliff Notes version of it. But you can always find these on Minnesota's legislature website um, uh, online if you want to look at this further. So murder in the third degree is a uh, statue 609.195. And it says, um, whoever without intent to the effect of death of any person causes the death of another perpetuating an imminently dangerous to others and invincing a depraved mind without regard for human life is guilty of murder in the third degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for no more than 25 years. Um, And for manslaughter in the second degree, this is a statute 609.205. It says the header of it is a person who causes death of another by any of the following means is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree. It may be sentenced to imprisonment for no more than 10 years and to payment of a fine of not more than $20,000 or both. And the first one is by the person's culpable negligence whereby a person creates an unreasonable risk and continuously uh, takes chances of causing death or greater bodily harm to another. All right, so. And
1: yeah, and so he uh, currently is under charge of the the third degree, which you stated uh, represents a maximum penalty of 25 years um given the history and nature of these cases i doubt he ends up with the maximum i mean the fact that he's even being charged right now is kind of less than precedent in these matters so Mm -hmm. um you know as much as justice can be served at least it's, it's it's heading down that road uh but i think a lot of people uh would contend that Despite those languages used, this is a higher degree. This is carried out by somebody who uh, has had issues in the past with use of force, um, has been disciplined for those. uh, Of course, never has had criminal charges. um, And it's also been noted that uh, he served in the county that was uh, represented for a time from prosecutor uh, Amy Klobuchar. Mm hmm. So um, some people are calling um, her experience in question as far as allowing this type of behavior to occur in the Hennepin County area of Minnesota, also known as the Minneapolis area. So um, yeah, a lot of things at work. Uh, What specifically uh, in this storyline that we kind of just broached lightly because it was a brand new situation last week uh, did you want to shed light on this week?
0: Well, I wanted to talk about this because anytime this happens, like we're always uh, so angry and so upset that it happens, and I'll, at least um, some of the sentiments that I see on my Facebook feed is that when it when they when people talk about degrees of murder. Um it feels more like an emotional or interpersonal thing where they're like no you need to get first degree murder because it's more degrees of murder right but like when it right. comes to like the letter of the law like um one of the reasons why uh someone like George Zimmerman was acquitted is because he was overcharged and I think it's important to if we want to see justice in this way and not like vigilante justice or anything like this and If we care about the rule of law, and I can totally understand someone saying, fuck all that bullshit, because you're upset right now, right? I wanted to say, like, in this particular instance, just by looking at it, not me, I'm not a lawyer, right? So I can only look at that and see what might actually happen when this case actually gets prosecuted, right? right? So basically, I would say, like, if I'm looking at this, would a grand jury choose to indict him on these things? And I would say, hopefully, yes. And then in the actual trial itself, what would do I think a jury of his peers would make him guilty of both of these counts based on the letter of the law of the things that I read? Because I think the other counts are irrelevant to the case at hand. Um, I also think that's yes. Uh, so I guess that gives some solace to the situation, even though a man is dead. So you really can't say anything like that. But... Um, and it is interesting that, like, the officer in the Philando Castillo's case was also charged for manslaughter in the second degree, but was acquitted of that. And so... Um, but in this particular instance, I do believe that, like, the imminent fear uh, was something that the prosecution could use um, to defend that officer's actions, which I think led to him being um, acquitted in this instance. And I think here the defense can use as you mentioned earlier his uh prior offenses his prior um complaints in a way to say because one of the things that i was worried about here in the reading and i had to look up with um what uh meant and it just means like provable and then i had to also look uh what depraved meant because i didn't know what really the dictionary definition was and it means corrupt or evil So I think you can take the idea that he is a corrupt cop because he continually breaks the rules and uses too much use of force in instances where they're not necessary. And I do think in that way, the defense can create a strong case that will make him culpable for the death of George Floyd. So so that's kind of where I wanted to go with this because I do feel like um, listening to my weekly podcast, I listen to um, on left, right and uh, center, uh, Catherine Emba. Um, uh, it didn't get heated, but it got very emotional between her and the um uh, the man who is the 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 person on the right on that show. and and I think that kind of embodied the emotions that um all black Americans are feeling right now in this uh, situation. But like trying to take a a point from my dad to look at this in a measured sort of way, I kind of wanted just to see like like yeah, I, I've watched the riots and I've watched the protests and I understand what's going on here. So hopefully this is a case where usually the long arm of the miscarriage of justice when it comes from the death of police officers, um, when it comes to black people, usually. Over, like them enforcing the law in such a way that is egregious and too much, and for things that, in the grand scheme of things, that are unlawful, not a big fucking deal. That there might actually be some justice here if we have patience, even if we're frustrated with the system overall.
1: Yeah. what What did you think in of um, the the comments that uh, Killer Mike of uh, Run the Jewels was saying? In response to what was going on in Atlanta, did you catch any of his uh, press conference?
0: Yeah, no, I did. I watched. Um, I think it was like eight minutes or something, and I did watch the whole thing. And I think he's right about that. I think he's like he was telling people to stop destroying their city. Um, I'm I'm gonna only do a cliff notes thing of like kind of the key points that I remember in. in the, I'm um, off at of the top of my head. Uh, and But I, what I really liked about uh, his thing is he was like, you know, it's time to plan. It's time to organize. It's time to vote people out of office. And later in the episode in our political action is lit section, that's one of the things that I want to put forth too. Because, like, what this has done for me is, like, I am upset. But I realize that I'm most effective if I take, like, me being upset... Um, into consideration of how I can actually make an, an actionable change, like what can I do with my circle of influence in order to make the changes that needs be, right? So, like, and for me, like using this platform to give people awareness of this, using this platform to tell people how you can help in your particular region, and use your circle of influence to ultimately do two goals, which I think right now is get Trump out of office and flip the Senate blue. And secondarily, make sure that the house stays blue um, as well too. I think that's where my time and efforts and my motivations need to be here through all this.
1: Yeah, I, and I like to he kind of there was kind of like three parts to it. There's yeah, the action part towards the end. There's the um, recognition of of how people were feeling, but at the same time stating that you know, burning down the buildings isn't gonna bring George Floyd back. And it's actually going to alter the nature of the conversation. So in a way it's going to take away a lot of the power of the protest movement. But what was also kind of striking about it is that he opened by bringing his family lineage into the picture. Oh yeah. um, The son of a, of an Atlanta police officer and that his cousins were in the Atlanta and Georgia police forces. And that, um, you know, Atlanta has a history of problematic behavior when it comes to segregation and racism, and, and he even referenced the first eight black members of the Atlanta police force who were forced to change into their uniforms at a YMCA because the other members of the police force didn't want to change with black people. So, you know, the the history of the police force in Atlanta um, has some real problems um, in dealing with the race and dealing with the public and, and being honest about looking at itself and how to correct its behavior. So it was interesting coming from killer Mike and knowing his kind of standing in that, in that community as someone who kind of came from nothing and, and made, made a name for himself in the rap game. But then once, you know, his second entree in the rap game, the run the jewels project really kind of took off. He opened a barber shop, He bought some buildings downtown, he's renovated them. I think he's given to like education causes and things that help bring people out of poverty and and into the fray of of the intellect and and allow them to make their own decisions or entrepreneurial choices and things like that. So he's he's a real kind of measured voice, um, not just for Atlanta, but for the country kind of going forward as someone who... Is experiencing it firsthand, but he's still able to temper his own emotions and, and kind of see through what's going on and what could could be corrective action and, and, and stuff that can actually help. And like what you said, uh, furthering the future is going to be getting these people out of power. You know, you got to get them out of the, the county seats. You got to get them out of the sheriff's departments. You got to get them out of, in this case, also the White House. So, um, it's, it was an, it was an interesting, uh, like, yeah, I, I do, I, I was going to play a clip of it, but I think we've kind of, uh, summarized it, but if you really want to get the emotion of it, I would tell our listeners to go, you know, check it out on YouTube, the Killer Mike, uh, George Floyd speech.
0: So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And <clears> before we <throat> head into the <throat> actual episode, just to add to that, um, if you, I've been currently reading a book, um, "Untrumping America, by Dan Pfeiffer, who is a part of the Pod Save America crew. And it's definitely talking about, like, things we've talked about on the past, too, um, about, like, radical change in, um, what's it called, in, in changing how our government works, um, radical change in how the Democratic Party actually approaches trying to get more constituents and more people to vote, Because right now, you know, we have gerrymandering and everything like that. So we're going to need to increase turnout. And one of the things that he mentioned is that sometimes there's a strategy to go for swing voters. But uh, one of the reasons why the Obama coalition won is because he activated individuals who normally wouldn't vote. So that's something that we have to do again. And it's going to be a lot harder because uh, Joe Biden doesn't excite as many people as um, Barack Obama did. But, you know, this is where we're at. So, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, so that's our kind of opening uh, look back at at the topic as we've talked about it and discussed in the past, Um, so I'm sure we're going to kind of touch more on that topic when we enter the episode, which we are doing now. So we are here in episode 94, live in effect in late, late May, in fact, the final day of May, May 31st, 2020, and Chaz, what did you want to kick off the 94th episode.
0: Well, <laughs> um, basically, I just wanted to take like the two sections that we usually use to talk about like current events, both from the president and how he's affecting the world. And and also just what's going on in America right now is like yesterday um, over the death of uh, George Floyd, there were protests um, that went on all across America, I think in at least uh, 30 plus cities or something like that. Um, and some of them became violent and riots, including the one here in Seattle. Um, but I guess right now, like my main feelings of it is I saw a meme, um, that once said, uh, Americans who were protesting, wanting to go back to work, going to state houses with guns and everything like that. They were like, if you know, the Leroy Jenkins meme from like 2008, they're like, oh wait, what? I'm sick and tired of being home. I want a fucking haircut. Time's up. Let's do this, Leroy Jenkins. And then, but then I feel like what happened this weekend is uh, Black Americans were like, oh no, we done with this fucking bullshit, police. No, time's up. Let's do this, Leroy Jenkins. And <laughs> and then just like, of course, seeing the contrast and parallels to. Uh, On both their protests for maybe, as one would say, like um, understanding, yes, the economic impact that everyone is um, having because of the shutdown and coronavirus, uh, but also the amount of not pushback that uh, a lot of those protesters got by both being outside of the state legislature and also inside the state legislature in some places like Michigan, where they were yelling at police officers. And over at the same time, where in a lot of places um, there's being reported by individuals who are on the ground in a different protest that one, there weren't, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people out there with um, any sort of firearms, um, but nothing like very visual, like uh, AR 15s or AR 15 like things from those who were protesting um, the coronavirus shutdown, uh, but also the response of police forces in the big cities of those protests. Uh, And also how, like, allegedly it seems like uh, a lot of the riots that happened weren't started by the protesters, but um, started by some people are saying white supremacists who want to use this to start the Second Civil War um, or just individuals who want to, like you said uh, before, uh, speaking to what Killer Mike said, want to derail the conversation from what it's actually trying to represent
1: yeah yeah you know and that's kind of the key is that obviously these protests are in direct response to the police brutality Mm -hmm. and is the main story is that these people are fed up and that they want to be heard the story isn't that tens of the thousands so there's thousands of people and tens of them Choose to throw rocks and and break windows and and cause havoc, mm-hmm. which somehow becomes the main story because if it bleeds, it leads, and and that's that's the problem. And there's also, you know, this is rife with conspiracy theories now because uh, it has been known that agencies have used um, kind of anti what do you what do you call it like anarchistic tactics in order to um, make peaceful protests seem problematic i mean there's been the the million man march had fbi agents amongst it that were hidden the 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 previous protests that we've had in regards to police brutality have had agents put in and so there is always going to be this conspiracy theory of the the message is getting out there and it's getting out there so widespread that the the fear amongst the powers that be is that this is going to be the tide of change and so in order to change the kind of focal point of what the discussion is these you know anarchistic actors take very noticeable stances and and approaches now obviously it could just be a bunch of um people who are already kind of of that mindset utilizing the uh shutdown of streets and the inability of emergency uh forces to get into places to conduct violent acts and and that is you know what occam's razor would say is the most likely answer but it is becoming a problem that even the national media and all the people that are we're covering these protests are now just showing endless loops of videos of cars burning and um and windows being broken, and not the the peaceful marches, or the speeches, or the um, the real problem here, which is, in this particular case, the death of George Floyd, and the other people who have been murdered by cops unjustly. So, it's uh, <clears throat> it's a real diff- difficult kind of era we're in, in order to, to, to make voices heard, and not have your message sidelined by more visible acts of violence and um you know the the protests in portland were even interrupted by some violent people running into the the protest groups in cars oh damn physically driving into the protest groups yeah and uh some people were calling out the um the proud boys as kind of infiltrating the, the movement and trying to to harass people and, and show guns and drive into crowds. So uh, there's those are all kind of unsubstantiated reports at this point as far as who was, was conducting themselves that way. But yeah, multiple people were hit by um, currently unapprehended individuals in vehicles at oh, the, the Portland rally for George Floyd. So it's... Um, It's getting dangerous, you know, it's getting dangerous for businesses that are in these downtown areas. It's getting dangerous for protesters. It's getting dangerous for, you know, the cops who do conduct themselves in a just and and appropriate manner because they're being kind of grouped into the authority and, and negative impact of the brethren that they have that aren't conducting themselves that way. Now, you know, it's been a, a kind of a, a silent brotherhood for a couple hundred years now where it's like, you know, cops don't tell on cops. And maybe this needs to start changing that. You know, maybe if you really want to be looked at as a as a good police officer, you know, you need to be standing up in these situations that make you feel uncomfortable, i.e. the other three police officers who were on the scene when George Floyd was apprehended. Yeah, I mean,
0: evil persists when good men do nothing. And any of my friends who are conservative (laughs) or conservative adjacent will always try the emotional plea that they will say, I have friends who are police officers and they are good people. And sometimes as a black person in America, I say, I don't really care. And like, because overall, the individual actions of a person doesn't actually do much to change the, the systemic nature that protects actions of them and right. so like it's it, it i mean i understand the emotional plea and but i think i live in a state in america where i kind of have to be cold to that uh because i think it doesn't do anything to affect the change that i want to see i don't think it uh does anything to affect the change that people who are fighting for criminal criminal justice reform or just like how like people are held accountable for those sort of things are so like i totally get where they're coming from but at the same time i'm like we got to do something to change this because every time it happens like this is cyclical like we've been reporting on various current events for over three years now and how many times have we done a black person got killed by a cop and there was a protest that turned into riots people saying, oh, what about the buildings? What about the things downtown? What about this? Like, this is, it's it's so cyclical. I don't even know what to think about it anymore. Like, I don't want to yeah. become desensitized to everything like this, but it happens so often. And I'm, I'm noticing that I'm seeing, like, smaller changes where, like, before it took a long time for, like, before with Trayvon Martin, that person wasn't even a police officer, right? Then there was Michael Brown, right? Right. right. And... And then now there's like people like Anton Sterling or even where it seems like in this case the 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 most one to one thing, even though it happened in New York, is Eric Gardner, right? It does seem like over time we are getting better responses to it, more responses. Like before, we would always say you see somebody would um, be put on paid administrative leave, right? Now this right. time those four officers got fired and then right. usually it would take a long time for officers to actually you know maybe even get prosecuted or they wouldn't get prosecuted at all and and then other times they would get prosecuted but then the DA would prosecute them with charges that they know wouldn't stick because they knew the letter of the law didn't apply to the actions that they took so like at least like the reason why I did what I did at the beginning of this episode is there is a small glimmer of hope that it's changing because in this case, he was fired right away, and he's been arrested, and it seems like the charges that he is was given is applicable to the actions he took that day. Mm, right. So, so yeah.
1: yeah. And it, it, it does feel like the world is on a switch where there's no neutral. It's like your light switch on and off, mm-hmm. except for on is, you know, unarmed black man shot by police, and off is school shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's like we just keep flipping that switch back and forth, and there's no neutral, there's no peace and justful world where those things aren't happening. I mean, how many episodes about unarmed black people getting killed or school shootings have we done? Exactly. You know, if you remove them from the from the episode list. We've done six shows. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's problematic, and you know the only thing that's typically. Um, a through line in those type of issues is the use of firearms. Obviously in this case, uh, closer to the, was it Eric Gardner or the Michael Brown situation, which started was the, I can't breathe movement, um, which this one also had. So, which is crazy that an officer who must have at some point, he's been an officer long enough, got some type of conversation about that Eric Gardner case, following it and about police tactics and about, the statement, I can't breathe, mm-hmm. being so iconic in that and having George Floyd utter those same words and to not give any heed or any type of reaction that would save George Floyd's life. At this point in time, had he not killed George Floyd, if George Floyd really had criminal activities, because that's the thing is there's a lot of people who are saying there was no just reason to even apprehend him. It was these unsubstantiated bad checks, supposedly.
0: It, apparently, I, I heard. heard it was just a counterfeit twenty dollar bill. Like wow, okay. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's definitely like, and, and and this is the story. Usually, usually, like Eric Gardner was selling loose cigarettes. You can't sell right. loose cigarettes. All right, I'm gonna leave. All right, I'm gonna choke you out. I can't breathe. No, fuck you. You selling loose cigarettes? Like, like, yeah. yeah
1: and and so what i was saying was like ultimately had he used less brutal force if there was was a real case george floyd goes to jail or gets prosecuted and he keeps his job and never is considered a murderer uh or he leaves his knee on george floyd's neck. george floyd begs him to, to let him breathe he ignores those pleas and now He's no longer on the force. George Floyd is dead. And now you are forever a murderer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's crazy just given the similarities in those two cases of the, the, um, person being arrested, stating the fact that I can't breathe. Yeah. And, and I've been told by, or listened to on a, on a podcast. There was a, uh, Uh, expert in kind of criminal cases, and they said that one of the main kind of constitutional level things of the police is their first responders, which means they're there to give aid when someone is in trouble. So even if you're apprehending someone, if that person starts to have a medical emergency, it's in your duty to provide them as much aid as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, he's, he's not only overusing the force tactic, he's not even doing his job. Um, if that job was to continue to have George Floyd under, you know, apprehended and then get a hold of a paramedic or some other type of medical person that could come and clear him to, to further the arrest, that would have been necessary for anybody who's begging on the ground that they can't breathe. Mm -hmm. That's the next step. So um, it's, it's, it's not even just overuse of force. It's, it's bad police work because uh, the police are first responders. They are supposed to be working for us um, just like fire and, and paramedics and, and other forms of um, first responders. It's, it's, it's scary and sad. And, uh, you know, Nikita Oliver, a former mayoral candidate that we spoke about here during the year that uh, Jenny Durkin eventually got elected, mm-hmm. um, has multiple posts about the the idea of communities policing communities and that there's actually not a need for police, that it's really just um, an old archetype that um, stresses these uh, racial kind of segregative and and holding down tactics as well as um it's mostly against poor people rich people kind of buy their way out of the the justice system um so it's interesting to think about a world that we could actually survive perhaps without police Mm -hmm. you know let let alone police that use too much force It, it, it might be an outdated Entity in general, especially with everyone having cell phones, everyone in their own ability to report crimes and, and things could be enough of a deterrent than than having these uniformed uh, militaristic um, agencies.
0: For sure. Yeah, like um, a few weeks back, I finished the show Watchmen and Watchmen also has that phrase who watches the Watchmen. And they definitely dive into um, the socioeconomic divides and the racial divides that happened in Oklahoma. We talked about the Greenwood riots, and they actually use that as a backdrop to the beginning of the, of that show to show some of those things there, too. And, yeah, I look at this, and, and that's, what, that's what we're always asking. Like, I think that's even what um, Killer Mike was saying about, like, where's going to be those community review boards, right? Who is policing the police? Because like, just like in the same way where saying people of color doesn't give you the whole entirety of the levels of discrimination that black individuals, Latinx individuals, Native American individuals, and Asian American individuals face in, um, in America right now, calling someone a first response, uh, responder, whether you're like an EMT, ambulance driver, fire uh, person, or police officer, it doesn't show you the level of effect that they have on the individuals living in these areas. And we've also right. uh, talked about how, like, it seems like in a well-to-do neighborhood, you have policing, um, and in um, areas that seem to have more crime, usually due to individuals living in those places are under a greater effect of having socioeconomic issues, uh, are usually known for law enforcement. And, and then I know that um, the, the term, the rule of law, is a core presupposition of conservative thought. And I always look at that and always become very frustrated. And I'm probably repeating myself as sometimes I do on this show. But when I think critically of it, um, I always, and like one of the core things that I think fundamentally, I hope everybody who's listening to this show understands or at least listen to is that anything can become unlawful. Um, And sometimes we would hope for the rule of law to make sense and work for everybody is that the things that we make unlawful should be unlawful because they actually cause harm to people in a way or, you know, break the status quo or basically are breaking the social contract in some way that that would be detrimental to our world at large. And sometimes in some places I feel like that's not the case. Sometimes it just feels like laws are created to not explicitly, but implicitly target different groups of people. And then time and effort is spent on those things to actually enforce those laws that way and it just becomes a cyclical cycle. And this is why we keep seeing the same thing over and over again. And so I do think this is one of those places where as I say, if um, you know changing uh, the criminal code is a part of your political platform, that's something to look in in all these places if you think that that arm of justice is what is going to make sure that like police officers are held accountable and that bullshit laws are taken off the books so um that sort of law enforcement isn't isn't there because a lot of times people will say police officers are just doing their job and at the same time like what are we going to do like it is or should all laws be enforced equally right Um, what are the, and like, we need to go back and like clarify, like, what are these laws doing? So, so yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's a debate that we need to be having and it's, it's, uh, a sad tragedy for George Floyd and his family and, and the people that knew him and that community. And it's, it's sad for anyone else who gets hurt in the kind of responses to all this, but it's a conversation that's long overdue and it needs to get done and it needs to have actual meaning in in this form of, of a real change, because if it just keeps being headlines that we come across every two or three months, then everyone is is sacrificing in vain because there is hope that we actually figure out a way to to get through this and and bring real representation to these counties and these cities and um serve the people as opposed to you know just kind of perpetuate these stereotypes and 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 racial divide um so i'm hopeful but i'm not holding my breath you know
0: yeah change is slow it's definitely slow but that that is of course a downer of a subject. But you usually, like to lift it up, Mikkel. So do you? Yeah. Guys something well, for us this week. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, lifting up is a, a good way to put it because <laughs> we did recently. Rockets. We did recently have a lift off yes, of the rockets. first SpaceX Dragon capsule carrying uh, humans into space from a private entity. Rockets. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Doug Hurley. And Bob Ben. Uh, Benet? Uh, anyway, uh, they were sent. It's a. Uh, oh, Bob Benken. Bob Benken and Doug Hurley were sent into space uh, yesterday, uh, May 30th, after the first uh, attempt was scrapped due to weather. And they uh, officially docked with the International Space Station this morning. So, congratulations to those two and to the entire uh, NASA SpaceX team that led to that success as well as the families and, uh, and the, the members of the uh, world space agencies that are aboard the ISS where they just docked and any work that they did. Uh, this is a, a big deal in the sense that private companies have proven to make space travel more affordable. Um, it's an incredibly expensive Endeavour. Also, the name of this space capsule is Endeavour because both Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken first took flights on the space shuttle Endeavour. Uh, and so it is a, it's is a—it's an expensive Endeavour, but the private companies have made it uh, a lot cheaper than uh, what NASA was spending. And even the... Um, drone ship caught the uh first stage of the rocket so that rocket will be reusable um and and things like that are what are making this a possibility for uh people like Chaz and i to perhaps visit space in the probably slightly distant perhaps near future and uh and that's a big deal um i also think that there's a perspective from what i've read in autobiographies of astronauts uh no matter what race they are or what country they come from they talk about the simplicity of earth and how no part of earth seems different when you're in space it's all just earth and it's odd they say for them and and even the ones who've gotten a little further on the moon to think about this tiny dot in space Mm-hmm. having all of human history contained within it and so all of our achievements and all of our mistakes and all of our misgivings and everything that we could be in are is located on that tiny little rock that's blue and green and spinning through the black absence of space and so hopefully as time goes on and space becomes more of an approachable thing and people maybe spend some time up there and get that perspective we can start to kind of see Uh, Better strategies for our world and how we treat each other and the necessity of uh, sustainability and and climate change prevention and all those things. um, Hopefully we'll come out of that Uh, today is a day of celebration in the space community as uh, those two astronauts are now aboard the ISS and will conduct some experiments as well as delivering much needed supplies. Uh, This is the first US space launch since 2011. Mm -hmm. um and uh it's it kind of signals the beginning of a new era of space travel um and then they will be returning sometime in the next four months and uh once they do return it's just the two astronauts that came up there that are going to return in the dragon vehicle and they will return via parachute once they get through the um superheated atmosphere entry point they'll end up uh in the sky and they'll open up four parachutes and they'll drop somewhere in the atlantic and they'll get picked up by one of those uh drone ships so um yeah it'll be uh it'll be an interesting uh that'll be the kind of final stage that'll be a, a mission accomplished moment um the first part of the mission of getting up there has been accomplished but Obviously, getting them home safe is a, is a key part of the mission as well. So uh, we'll look forward to updating you all on that part of it when they come back. But uh, congratulations once again to NASA and SpaceX and the families of everyone involved. Um, it, uh, it's not too far a future where you might be able to purchase a ticket to some other space station or maybe just a low Earth orbit and uh and and things like this are what are going to lead to that um i know it doesn't change the pandemic and it doesn't fix any of the the racial divide we're we're sensing right now or the police brutality but um let's just kind of take it as a as, as a as a positive storyline amongst a bunch of, of negative ones and remember that ultimately um we will make it through all these things and and we will Accomplish goals and achievements once again, and uh, this is an example of those type of things that we can accomplish when we put our minds and our hearts towards things. So, congratulations, SpaceX!
0: Fuck yeah! Uh, space yeah. is fucking cool.
1: Yeah, I think space is cool too. Um, it's my favorite vacuum. So,
0: <laughs> I'm more of a Dyson fan myself, but I say I'm more fan. of a Dyson guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so. Once we, you know, that's my lifting topic uh, for this week. Once we've, uh, we've brought you down with the, the harrowing news of our world, and then I lift you up, now uh, Chaz tries to give you a little push in the direction of what you can do to make your world even better than it is now. And so what kind of push do you have to give our listeners this week?
0: So, you know, like I've been saying, political action is lit. And, you know, especially I want, uh, you know, our younger listeners out there, our younger millennials, uh, Zoomers. Uh, right now, I've been listening to Love It or Leave It. And it seems like the the folks from Pod Save America are doing an initiative where we are trying to adopt the state. And basically what that is, is there are some key battleground states that are going to happen Um, In this election cycle that are going to need our help to mobilize the vote, to activate new voters and to make sure that people are aware of everything they can do to get out and get out there and get the vote happen, because Trump got elected honestly, in a very slim margin in three states. So before we think it's practically impossible to get them out of office, I think with all of us working together um, in, in places for the presidency, for the House, and the Senate, I think we can make this happen. So right now, the places that you can choose to save are Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. Uh, I myself, if you know me all this time, you know who I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Pennsylvania because it's where I'm from, all right? <laughs> and I'm from Philadelphia. And I would still say a good uh, portion of my Facebook friends are from Philadelphia. So I feel like using this platform, using my ability to create um art through Photoshop and just learning through things, I have the ability to use my circle of influence to actually affect change here. Um, I actually just put a post on... A friend who I believe actually is a Republican uh, but also seems to have like you know the hates and or not the hate, sorry the um, the hates the fact that like George Floyd died and but this given some of the the other lip service things that happens here because of the cyclical cycle but individuals like that, if we can get them to vote blue because they're fed up with Trump uh, that would be good to have those influences and then see where that can go. Um, right now I am uh, slated to do a, basically a webinar sort of thing on Thursday. So once I go through that, I will report on that, on what more actionable things I can do there. Um, hopefully, Mikel, if you know individuals in any of those other states, or if you want to join me in saving Pennsylvania, please do. But, okay. um... Let me see um, for y'all if you want to do this, I believe you can go to vote save America slash adopt the state and and then go from there.
1: Yeah, and that is the, the real case. You know, I think it was less than thirty thousand votes across three states that made a huge difference. There was mm-hmm. about five total that were uh, swing states that were in play. And, you know, uh, Minnesota was one of them. So given all the kind of headlines given to Minnesota this week, um, hopefully that kind of opens some hearts and minds there to to the, the type of administration we have and the change that needs to happen in that. Um, just given his tweets and the and the way he's responded to these tragedies, I think gives you an idea into his uh, lack of leadership when it comes to these things. And he is a leader. And so if he's a leader and he has no leadership, he should not be said leader. Indeed. So, yeah. Well, um, I also uh, listened to the um, the Meet the Press today, and you know it's it's an ongoing debate in this country about uh, who Biden is going to pick and whether Biden is the appropriate person. The reality is he's probably not, but he's not Trump, and that sucks that we have to make that designation. But uh, let's just make sure we're we're you know, selecting a leader that will at least listen and and adjust their candor as, um, as problems arise. And, you know, I don't know, out of that kind of designation, who are you hoping he selects as his, uh, running mate, Chaz?
0: Um, you know, I haven't put much thought into that, honestly. Um, Stacey Abrams still comes to mind as an individual, like, she's super smart. She's done a lot of things like written books, um, Become a lawyer. Um, and she's really doing a really good work when it comes to actually trying to get people out to vote, trying to protect voters' rights and everything like that. And it was really, um, I think Brian Kemp is the governor down there, and she's only not the governor, usually mainly because he basically put his political weight into um, in, in doing what uh, Republicans seem to love to do, which is suppress the vote of individuals who are going to vote against them. And they do it through gerrymandering. They do it do it through closing polling locations. And this is why this sort of thing is very important, uh, because you know it, we gotta find ways to make um, voting easy and accessible to as many individuals as we can. But we also have to fight against the fact that Republicans have a lot of power in their state, and ultimately, politics is about. Um, making enough minds change to assert the control you want to see so that the main pillars of your political platform can be put forth. it It, it right. speaks nothing about whether they're good or bad, whether they're like good or evil, right? whether they're effective or ineffective, who they benefit, who they don't benefit, anything like that, right. So if we feel as though being on the left, whether we're progressives, moderates, leftists, and beyond, uh, we need to do what's necessary to be practical and um, effective during this time. And I know we have a lot of idealized things going on. I know we're not excited about Joe Biden. I'm not fucking excited about Joe Biden, but I am excited about being effective. I'm a, and I am excited about getting people more engaged to, um, to vote and be in the politics. That's why I do this podcast. right? And I think we can do the best we can, especially if we have the privilege and the time and the energy to do so. We should exactly uh
1: well you know i think with that we've got a nice concise episode a lot of topics there uh i know we didn't really touch on the coronavirus so uh stay there, safe and healthy there in the is world. one
0: quick other thing i wanted to talk about yeah that, let's do it um because mm-hmm. i did tell people like to, to, to piggyback on this um just to have mm-hmm. my corner i told y'all like i did with the presidency i wanted y'all to at least be aware of who was running and what they were running for but now you know Joe Biden um, is still the presumptive nominee. Uh, we won't know if he's the official nominee until um, August. But um, as much as basically where I'm at right now, being a leftist and looking for progressive things, is making sure that Bernie Sanders gets as many electoral um, as delegates as he can during the cycle so um, we can push the Democratic Party more to the left than it is right now, because right now it does seem like, they are very close to the Republicans in a lot of things in some ways, but not in others. But um, I believe I said there were like 10 um, Democrats that the Justice Democrats and other uh, progressive uh, groups were trying to put forth um, to take over Senate seats. And we've talked about Amy McGrath a bunch of times, but we never really dove into Amy McGrath. So I'm going to do a little bit of that today. did some research on her just to give you the high level of things so you know. So... She's a military vet, and she retired back in 2017, and back in 2018, she actually ran for a congressional seat um, in the House in Kentucky's 6th District, um, but against Andy Barr, and Andy Barr, if you don't know him, Andy Barr was elected back in 2012, uh, where that seat in the 6th District actually used to be Democratic back then. Um, Sadly, she did not win that seat. She lost by 9,000 votes. Um, And then some bullet points on what she supports. Um, She supports investing in Kentucky's infrastructure, especially in the eastern part, uh, to deal with the economic impact for the declining coal industry. Um, She supports the right for abortion, but she has concerns about late-term abortion. Um, She supports uh, comprehensive um, immigration reform, but she doesn't really like the very... Uh, progressive scream to abolish ICE, even though I I think w- my listeners would understand that abolish ICE is really like they're corrupt and we don't want to see people being deported in such an inhumane way. Um, right. She opposes free college tuition um, from the government. haven't dived into her reasons why, but again, that is a little bit of a tougher thing to get people on board for. Uh, but I, I understand why. I support it because... Usually, education both helps people be more critical about the world they live in, and also, if you look at the economic side of things, it gives them access to better jobs and uh, better income growth over time. And huh. and then, lastly, she is a, one of the moderate Democrats that believes in Medicare for all who want it, basically. She hasn't said that explicitly in the things that I've read or seen from her, but she supports a public option and that's ultimately what uh, the folks like Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar were talking about on the debate stage uh, back last year. Uh, But ultimately, it's interesting to think, like, can she win? Uh, Because the last time someone went up against Mitch McConnell in the primary was in 2014, and I believe their name was Allison uh, uh, Lundgren-Grimes, and she lost to Mitch McConnell by over 15 points. Now, in the case of... uh, the district that she ran in before, um, she lost uh, to Andy Barr by about 9,000 votes, which is approximately, like, two or three points. Well, it was, he got 51% of the vote. She got about 48% of the vote. And that was out of a total of about uh, 300,000 votes with a Libertarian candidate uh, having some of the adjustment of those two. Right. And I was reading a 538 article from last year that talked about, um, could she win? And when it was written back then, it was said that she might have a tough time winning due to the fact that like, it is a very ruby-red state. And the redness of the country, um, or sorry, the redness of the state from the county that she was in is magnitudes larger, so she might have a tougher time. But now that we have coronavirus... Um, I don't know. I haven't read up on how coronavirus is affecting Kentucky at the moment Um, Mm -hmm. and don't know if they're relaxing, if they've been relaxing any of their social distancing, if if that's going to lead to a spike. There is some polls that were out there from last year, too, from the AARP that um, Mitch McConnell only has a 37% approval rating, but then again, it's up to us to help Amy McGrath, and hopefully Amy McGrath has a plan in order to Uh, take those disaffected voters and have them switch their vote to her uh, so she can be practical and effective in the senate and just in all of the bottlenecks that are happening in the senate that allows us to make impactful and effective legislation so i'm rooting for her that's why we keep talking about her um and hopefully if you can donate to her campaign but if you I really what I want to focus on now from now until the election, and even after election is if you have a circle of influence in these places, uh, please use that privilege and please let people know about this and just let them know what they can do, like help them in all the ways, like where can they vote? How can they vote? How can you support them on voting days and things like that, especially with coronavirus, the safer we can be, the more people can get out there and have their voices heard.
1: All right. And as always, if you do have opinions about things we talked about on the show or want to add topics or have your voice heard, go ahead and send us an email to H-Y-L-B-O-X at gmail.com. That's H-Y-L-B-O-X at gmail.com. You can get at me directly at C-Town Mayor, S-E-A-T-O-W-N-M-A-Y-O-R on the Twitter sphere because I'm helping the municipality by the coast. How can people get at you, Chaz?
0: Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and the TikToks at uh, Chaz underscore Baz. Um, you can also follow my Facebook page, uh, the Random Musings of Chaz Baz, which is just uh, Facebook.com slash Random Chaz. I'm going to start posting on there a little bit more, too. Um, But, yeah, uh, next week or, n- well, maybe next week or the next time we record, I think the next person I'm going to do is uh, go to Mitch McConnell's Dragon, or maybe Trump's dragon, Lindsey Graham. I I don't mean that as an insult. That's just a TV tropes thing, right? Um, And go, um, I think there's a candidate named Jamie that is running against him there. So I kind of want to do some research on him and see what are his chances for taking over Lindsey Graham's seat.
1: Well, there we go. All right, folks. As always, we didn't talk much about coronavirus, so stay safe out there. Wear your mask. Stay socially distanced. Uh, Let's uh, keep this... uh, Knocking it down, program going, and, and hopefully we'll uh we'll have a tail end of the summer to enjoy, if at least 2021, corona-free. Let's work towards that goal. Chaz, as always, it's been a blast.
0: Hell yeah. Awesome episode, pre- Mikkel.
1: I appreciate you, bud. Stay safe. Uh, hopefully we'll do this uh, in the same room one of these days. Oh ah, yeah, fingers
0: uh, crossed. I mean, I'm waiting for that vaccine, but until then, I'm going to do my best.
1: Sounds good, man. Uh Take care, and we out. Peace. Hey, Andy, yo, yo, I'm only doing cash. I don't need promo. I pull up to the high rise. I'm in the fofo. inside Coco. If I got a feeling I keep it inside my heart. And I keep a pedicure because I don't do facade. You can see my diamonds even when I'm in the dark. And since you got it, it makes you go and do anything. you not make that ass clap. She don't need no part.